Coming up on this episode of the Friday Film Club, I speak to Ashley Stroud, who is a cabaret superstar who shot to fame as one of the stars of Postmodern Jukebox. You know, that little YouTube channel that has six million subscribers. And she has since gone on to have a successful career touring the US and Canada, including shows at Madison Square Garden. And now she's bringing her talent to London with a new show called Carte Blanche, an unforgettable night of camp fun and cabaret performed by an all-girl and predominantly POC cast of modern-day follies. Inspired by badass women and heroines of hip-hop in Hollywood, the show takes you on a glamorous and colourful ride from Carmen Jones to Cardi B. So we had a great chat about Carte Blanche and also some of Ashley's favourite films. So do check out the podcast, hope you enjoy it, and remember to share it, like it, review it, rate it, wherever you get your podcasts, and tell everyone about it. Hope you enjoy. So Ashley, thank you so much for joining me on the Friday Film Club. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Uh, how are you? I'm doing good. You know, tech week, so quite hectic, but we're getting there day by day. Yeah, well, let's just um, dive straight into that. So tell us all about the show. So the show is really, really inspired by the Zigfield Follies and sort of all of those Follies style reviews that were out in the early 20th century up through the 30s and 40s. And um, they were quite sort of in between, somewhere in between Broadway and cabaret and what later then became like the Las Vegas showgirl. And obviously all of this was taken from France. So I was really inspired by all of these high glamour women in lockdown <laughs> as I was like sitting on my couch in my pajamas for the fifth day straight. <laughs> I was watching Big Bell Girl, I was watching Dorothy Dandridge and Carmen. I just wanted to be somewhere prettier than I was. And that led us to this place of showgirls and carte blanche. What would happen if the showgirls in these famed shows would have had sort of like a night off? Mm. What kind of party would they have thrown? What would they have done with that night? And so this is that night. So we really say that it's the Follies for a New World. So it's not an all-white group of women or all thin, all, you know, like the Rockettes, they have a specific height requirement. And all of that is beautiful and has its place as well, height requirements and things like this. But we have body diversity, we have racial diversity, and we're just bringing the Follies into the now. I love that. It's such a great idea. And yeah, it's, it's, it's so Vegas. Um, and I, I can't think, I mean, I, I'm not really a, a purveyor of, of that kind of show, but uh, I, I can't think of anything in London that's anything like this. Yeah, yeah. There's so much good cabaret in London. I won't lie. There really is. <laughs> it's, it's definitely stiff competition here. But I think I agree. I don't think there's anything like this. Our music is really amazing. We've taken those songs from gorgeous films and musicals of, you know, the golden age and mm. mixed them with women now that inspire me and are very high glam and, you know, kind of boss women, the same type of women that, you know, Carmen Jones and Roxy and Velma are. So, um, yeah, we've done these mashups like 
you know, sweet charity, big spender meets Doja Cat <laughs> and Sweetie Best Friend or Cardi B Money meets Cell Block Tango. It's really fun. Yeah, it sounds amazing. And uh, so tell us, how can people get tickets for it? So you can visit our website at carteblancheshow.co.uk and click book now. We are on every Wednesday and Thursday, opening October 13th through December. 10-week run, hopefully to be extended in the future. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Amazing. And, and also, actually, I was looking at the, um, sort of the, the, the cast list and some of the people involved. You know, this isn't just a small thing. This is, there's some huge people involved as well as yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, Zoe Marshall is fresh out of a production of Pippin in Sydney, I believe at the Sydney Opera House. Cleopantha is one of the leading names in burlesque in the world, not just in London, in the world, really. Um, she's actually top 25 burlesque in the world, I, I believe. Angie Sylvia is incredible. She's been in Absinthe Vegas. She was in, um, I mean, she's been everywhere. Angie's been everywhere. She really has. So it's definitely, it's a cast full of heavy hitters. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait. And uh, I told my wife about this show and she's incredibly excited. Uh, I, I only had to mention the fact that there was someone who had been on uh, or, or involved in RuPaul uh, who, who was involved in the show and she was sold immediately. Uh, and she yeah. loves the whole cabaret thing too. So I think, yeah, we're definitely going to gonna pay a visit. It sounds like so much fun. Oh, good, good. We'll be happy to have you. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, so let's jump into some of the questions. Um, as always, I ask uh, my guests the same six questions uh, to find out a little bit more about who you are through what you watch. So um, let's jump straight in. Uh, what is your favorite film of all time? Okay, this is hard. This is so hard, but I'm going to be completely honest. And this answer changes all the time. Right <laughs> now, my favorite film is, and it's been this for three years or four years, Moana. Nice. Moana from Disney. And this is pre, I'm a new mom, but I'm not going to blame it on my baby. He's not <laughs> even two. It's really just me. I, I was, I fell in love with Moana before I ever had a child. I just love it. I love the animation. I love the colors. I love the music. I love the message. Yeah, Moana is the one. Yeah. No, I, I, that, is, that is a solid choice. I am a big fan of, of Disney. They, they, They've really hit the mark again in recent years as well. Like Moana is a great film. It's so great. I love it. I thought about picking something like more highbrow, just sort of <laughs> like theme. You know what I mean? I was like, yeah. should I say, you know, some sort of like artsy, little known, but like, honestly, it's Moana. All day, yeah. every day I can watch that. Do you know what? Like all of my guests, they always have that, that conundrum. Like, do, do I want to sound smart and say, say <laughs> a, a really high-end film? Secretly, we all love a bit of Disney. You know what I mean? Yeah, Mama yeah. is the one. Just love her. Well, so what's your favourite Disney film of all time? Is well, it, would Moana it be Moana? Yeah, that's definitely my favourite Disney film of all time. But I would say the most classic Disney film of all time, in my opinion, is Lion King. I love Lion King, yeah. The whole, the whole 90s yeah. Disney. You can't, you oh, can't beat it. Classic. Classic. <laughs> classic. So, uh, I guess now, now that you've got uh, a son, I, it won't be long before you just have the perfect excuse to rewatch all of them. Oh, we've already started. <laughs> We're already there. <laughs> so what, what, and so he what's... too, he loves Moana. Of course. So you know he's got good taste going on. Real good taste. 
<laughs> yeah. So what have you kind of got a, a priority list? Are you starting with the modern stuff or are you going straight in with the classics? So the problem with, I sound like my own grandma right now. The problem with the kids these days, but <laughs> I can't believe myself. But the problem with kids these days is like they watch like Coco Melon, which is like these creepy little animatronic babies. Mm -hmm. So then it's really hard to turn on like Lady and the Tramp or Fox and the Hound because he's like, what is this? Like even <laughs> just the animation, he's like, mommy. No. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we started quite new. We started with like Coco and, you know, all of the sort of newer things that they, I mean, really Coco too is so good. Um, so we've started quite new and we've started to inch backwards. He does love Lion King. He does love Mulan. So mm -hmm. we're, he's starting to get used to it. But when it first comes on, he's definitely like, mom, this sucks. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Coco is another great film. I think that's probably one of my favourites. That yeah, yeah. So I I've actually been rewatching a few of the older Disney films recently, and okay, I feel like the messaging is definitely quite questionable now when you look back at those older ones. So yeah, yeah, we're we're staying away from um, a few. I can think of a few that I definitely am <laughs> pulling up on my Disney Plus. Yeah, um, but Mulan still lands really well for me. So I was happy about that. Lion King is just, they just hit it. Mm. They just hit it. So that's still a great one. And um, Pocahontas, I tried. Didn't make it all the way through before I was like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not, maybe not. Mm. Still yeah. love the songs. Still love the songs. Yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't fault the soundtracks. Even no. the old stuff. There's, there's a classic in every film. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, what? Steven Schwartz, come on. <laughs> exactly. Um, what are your thoughts on the remakes, like the live action remakes? I think they're bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's my thoughts. I think they're Fair bad. Enough. They're long. They're yeah. drawn out. Bad. I, don't, I wish I had something more, you know, eloquent to say about that, but I've tried a couple and ooh, bad. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, to the point. Which I guess brings us on to what is your least favorite film? Oh, what is my least favorite film? I found this question hard as well because I'm a turn off girl, you know? So mm. it's hard for me to even have a least favorite film because I just get bored and turn them off. But I'll say um, I grew up watching by proxy westerns because my dad likes westerns. So I can just yeah. say as a genre, Westerns are my least favorite films. I can see the whole allure, like I get that, you know, when especially sitting with my dad, I get that, you know, th there's a, a feeling about them. They have a mm. vibe, but oh man, no, not for me. <laughs> Fair enough. I think Westerns are, are very much a kind of love or hate sort of genre. But did your, did your dad have one particular Western that was always being played? If he did, I do not know because <laughs> zone out. Yeah. Or can't deal. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I guess, um, I guess it's like that, isn't it? When you, when you grow up with something that's just uh, a certain type of film that's just on repeat all the time, it just it massively puts you off. Yeah, they're just not my thing. They are a little camp. 
maybe they don't even realize they're being camp, you know, when they get ready and pull out the gun. It is so camp, but um, <laughs> no, it's just not my thing. <laughs> it's, I mean, I, I kind of, I think there's a definite trend, right? I think, I think older white guys uh, are probably the target audience for Westerns because okay. when you look at stuff like, you know, like the good, the bad and the ugly, and you look at like the, the shootouts and those kind of standoffs, it's just a big pissing contest between like the characters, right? Like they're all just like, who's got the bigger gun, you know, metaphorically. Yeah. And it's yes. just, it, it is that, it's that kind of film. And you either, you either buy into it or you don't, right? And to be fair, now that you say that, I also don't enjoy any of the gangster movies that everyone loves, like Scarface, Scarface 2, Scarface 3, or whatever mm. it is. Goodfellas or Godfather or what, you know, all, I've seen them and didn't enjoy those either. So yeah. maybe the whole vibe of that is just not right for me. Yeah, I, th I think they've, they've maybe not quite nailed how to um, maybe broaden their audience with, with those kind of films <laughs> yet, you know? Um, yeah. But, um, okay, which film or TV character do you find most relatable and why? I find most relatable the three sisters from Charmed. <laughs> Interesting. So uh, hang on. Original no nope. remake? Remake. No, 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 no. Neither. The original was Piper, Phoebe, and Prue. Yeah. Which was Shannon Doherty. Mm -hmm. And then they killed her off and replaced her with Rose McGowan as Paige. Yeah. That's my three. The remake in the new world now, like last year or something, um, it felt like they went on Twitter and checked a bunch of hashtags, and that's how they wrote the script. <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I was like, what am I listening to? This is so random. But when it was on originally with Rose McGowan, they were just so relatable. Hmm. Even though they were witches and the special effects were questionable, and they're like fighting these monsters and this and that, it was just still so relatable, you know? This, everything that they went through was something that was quite universal. You know, the Mills sister mm. was the sister who just had a thing for bad boys. So, of course, in the Charmed universe, she ends up marrying the source of all evil. <laughs> but <laughs> you get it, though, because then yeah. you get how when you bring that boyfriend home that your parents hate, they treat him like he's the source of all evil. I think that's a, that's a great answer. I love a bit of Charmed, uh, but I do think it was very much of its time, right? You had to you had to watch it when it was first out to really get yes. it. Yes, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I, I rewatched a couple of episodes not that long ago, and I did think, like, what the hell was I thinking, like, <laughs> binging this? But uh, I, I still, I still kind of love it because I remember mm. just I remember loving it at the time. And what what kind of period of life were you going through when you were watching Charmed? Is, is that kind of why it resonated? Do you think? Yes. I mean, I was quite young, but I felt, you know, I'm the youngest in my family, so maybe I wanted to be the older, cooler version of me. Mm. Um, but I was a kid. I wasn't a teenager yet. Or, I mean, it stayed on for a long time. So by the time it was at its end, I was a teenager. And yeah, it just, it just all landed for me. It still lands for me. If I'm at home at my parents' house, they still run it in the States on a channel called TNT. They run it in the mornings. Yeah. And um, so when I'm home for Christmas or anything, being with my fam, and I turn on the TV and it's on, I always turn it back on and I still love it. it you're right that it's definitely of its time, but you it, it sort of takes you back to that time. Like in yeah. that moment, 
I'm 12 again. You know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Looking up to the way they dress, and I'm thinking about like, ooh, you know, I love that guy for her. Oh, he's so cute, or whatever, you know. <laughs> and it, it takes me back there, so I, I still love it. It's interesting though that you, you're, um, you have siblings, and that you're the youngest. I guess did you were you kind of always was there that that sort of comparison there between the dynamic between the three girls and and, and your family? So, <laughs> um. I guess I could get quite, it doesn't have to be deep, but some people take it as deep, but I'm actually adopted in my family. Okay. And so that Paige character, she was like adopted out of the family. And so I really, mm. once she joined the show, then I really clicked in and felt like, hmm, oh, I really want to watch this. What's going to happen? And I liked watching her go through the process of, well, in the series, she doesn't have siblings in her that she grew up with. I grew up with my incredible family and they're still my incredible family. But it just still felt like it was relatable to me to watch her sort of go through this identity crisis and, you know, what does this all mean? My origin story versus the story of who I am. Yeah, yeah, oh, that's, that's, uh, that's a really interesting uh, um, commonality. Uh, and I guess then just talking about you uh, a bit more. So Postmodern Jukebox, it kind of went viral um, I mean that whole channel is huge and your performance on that kind of really got you noticed so tell me how you got really to where you are via sort of the postponed jukebox and everything else mm. so I moved to New York in my 20s and I didn't know anyone and I just started auditioning I would just go online and you know troll Google and mm. troll Playbill for audition notices and backstage for audition notices. And I saw an audition notice within like the first month or two of me getting to New York for a show called Sleep No More, which Scott Bradley was the musical director for, which I didn't know anything about. I didn't understand what the show was, but I didn't care if they said it paid $100. If you came and sang for the night, I was like, I need that $100. <laughs> I went and I auditioned and I didn't get it. I got to the last round and another girl got it, who turned out to be such a good friend to me, Christina Gaddy, who also is in, in that lineup of Postmodern Jukebox. Um, so I didn't get it and I was devastated. And some months later, I got an email from Scott and he was like, you know, hey, um, I shoot these like videos in my living room in Queens. You know, did you wanna come like shoot a video? And you know, I'm like, uh, buddy, I'm young, but I wasn't born yesterday. I'm not coming to your living room <laughs> to, to shoot no video. Like, I don't know what you think this is, okay? I'm not down on my luck that bad, all right? You know? <laughs> but he was, Postmodern Jukebox hadn't been born yet. He was still just sort of experimenting with all these different ideas. So actually the first thing I did with him was a series he called Saturday Morning Slow Jams. And it took cartoon theme songs that used to play on Saturday mornings and he would redo them as R&B songs. So I think I did DuckTales. Did I do DuckTales or Darkwing <laughs> Duck? Darkwing Duck is what I did. I re-sang the theme song from Darkwing Duck as a R&B slow jam. And um, maybe a couple months after that, a video with Robin really took off. I couldn't tell you right now what it was, but it went viral for them and they did Good Morning America and it became this whole thing. And so I was like, okay, I want to get in Postmodern Jukebox. He was kind of 
mm, you know, but they did a shoot that December, which was the end of the year wrap up in Puddles the Clown, who's amazing. I love him. His car broke down, which is hilarious. Obviously, the clown car broke down. <laughs> And um, he couldn't make it up from Atlanta. So I got the call last minute and I went and I subbed in and it all sort of went from there. We shot the next video, the next video. None of us had any idea that it was going to be what it became. Maybe Scott did, but I definitely didn't. We were literally shooting in his living room. I mean, it, it was not like a glamorous affair. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, we yeah. bought it's at Forever 21 in Times Square for less than $20 and we would just throw it up. Yeah. It just took off, which was crazy. It was crazy. You know, I like woke up one day and my parents are like, there's a girl that looks exactly like you on Huffington Post. I was like, no, no, that's me. <laughs> and they're like, what do you mean? Like, what are you up there doing? Like, what is this? So yeah, from there, I've just really taken it step by step by step by mm. step. I, I am a hustler. I will give myself that pat on the back all day. I will always put myself out there and work as hard as I can to get to that next step. And mm. I just, I love being on stage. I love it. I love it. It's it's religion for me. So yeah. I definitely give it 200 million percent every time. <laughs> yeah. And I think obviously some people you can just tell are just born performers and you're certainly one of those, you know, watching your videos, it's just, you know, I can't imagine you working in a shop, <laughs> for instance. So, <laughs> so yeah, um, it's, it's amazing that it's working out for you. And, and is this the first time that you've done a, a show in London? No, I've been performing in London. Well, I arrived here not yet three years ago. So I haven't done as much as I'd like to, because obviously a lot of this time has been, you know, lockdown and COVID and everything. Mm. But since... Things have started to open up this summer. I've been at Heaven Nightclub, Phoenix Arts Club. I've been a little bit of everywhere. I'm at the Ned. So the community has been really, really welcoming to me, really sweet backstage. But this is my first time leading a show here in London. So that's like I was, you know, I'm I'm a little scared. I'm a little nervous, but. <laughs> and how are, the, um, how are the rehearsals going? They're going well. Everybody is killing it. The music sounds amazing. You know, um, the director of the show, Bryn Harris, is his mind is like, you know, a little fairy wonderland of magic. <laughs> so it's it's great to work with him and, and be part of this whole world that he's bringing to life. Um, and hopefully I can really nail it on the day. You know, that's that's my goal. Yeah. I guess at the time of recording this, we're what a week away from yeah, from it. Um, yeah, so uh, I guess nerves are high, but I'm sure you will all smash it. Okay, I'm believing that. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> so, next question then: if if your life was a movie, uh, what genre would it be? I assume not a western. And who would play you? It would be a movie musical. Of course, obviously. Obviously. Who would play me? I have to say, there's an actress that I've been compared to my whole life growing up, and I just love her energy. I don't know if she sings, but her name is Kyla Pratt. That might be under the radar for British people, English people, but Americans will catch that. She was Penny Proud in the Proud family, and she was in a series called One on One, and she was in a classic movie called Love and Basketball. Kyla Pratt, I would be like, happy in my body and spirit if she ever played me in a film <laughs> fair enough i've just looked her up and i see that i see that mm -hmm. yeah yes. fair enough 
Yeah, I guess definitely not very known to, to UK audiences. But uh, yeah, as far as the uh, the look goes, spot on. Yeah, she has a great energy. She has such a great reputation. Everyone that works with her says they love working with her. Mm, great choice. We normally get like big names, like uh, uh, one of our uh, one of our first guests said, uh, well, you know, if I, if I get to choose who plays me, then obviously I'm going Orlando Bloom. But yeah, I love that that's, you've gone for a, a kind of left field choice there. Yeah. So what is your most nostalgic film? My most nostalgic film I just watched last night, funny enough, which would be Center Stage. Center I've Stage. Not heard of that. Okay. It's, it has definitely a cult following. It follows a group of dancers, and this was the first time I was introduced to Zoe Saldana. It might have been her first film. A group of ballet dancers trying to make it into the most famous ballet company in New York. It's incredible. I've always loved it. It, it makes me feel like I'm home. Every single home that I sort of go to, that's the mm. film that I kind of watch first. I don't know why. Um, and I've lived a lot of places, Atlanta, New York, L.A. Obviously, I'm from Chicago, now London. And I've done long stints. I did five months in Sydney in 2019. I always turn on center stage every time. So when, when was the first time that you watched that film? I first watched that film when I was heavy in my dance career. I say career, really dance training, I should say. I didn't ever really dance professionally. Um, and I was with a group of my friends and we were all dancers and we watched it together and it just felt so aspirational like wow what if we made it to New York and and got to you know audition for a big ballet company you know yeah, um, yeah. And something about that movie I feel like even as young as I was like lit a fire in me and so yeah. it stayed with me all these years I love that and yeah I there, there are some films like that where every time you watch it it just takes you straight back and you get the same feelings and yeah yes. I'm, I'm yeah with you on that did you ever did you grow up then wanting to be a dancer I've always wanted to be both or just be on mm. stage but I did grow up heavy into dance um I was in dance training from three to 17 yeah three or four times a week fair enough I guess nowadays you have to especially if you're on stage you have to kind of know a bit of everything right True. Yeah, definitely. At the time, my parents, they weren't thinking of it that way. They never mm. in a million years thought that I would choose this career. But their friends had their kids in dance. So it was sort of like an easy babysitting thing for all the parents. <laughs> they could all drop us off and then we would all go, can we spend the night? So they sort of would rotate whose house had the sleepover, which meant all yeah. the rest of the parents got a break. <laughs> that seems fair. Mm -hmm. But what was what was that turning point then when you when you realized, OK, this is what I'm going to do now? Mm, it was around that time that I saw Center Stage that I felt like, wait a minute, I'm feeling different than everyone else. You know, out of everyone that I grew up with, I'm the only one who kept pursuing it, who didn't let it go and couldn't mm -hmm. let it go. I think it was really around that time, which you're making that connection in my mind right now. Maybe that is why Center Stage is so nostalgic for me. It was around that time that I felt I could feel that there was a difference in how it felt to me and in how I was seeing my future. You know, other people, other kids were dreaming of it, but it felt far away to them. Whereas for me, I was like, no, I'm going to New York. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get there and I'm going to live there and I'm going to like be like these girls walking around with my bag on my way to rehearsal. Like, 
that's the life I want. Yeah. yeah. So um, a bit of a side question then. Would Is there any, if you could go back in time and, and give your, your younger self some advice, and if there's anyone listening now that, mm. that is younger and wants to make it, you know, what would you say to them? Trust yourself. Um, the best thing that I've learned through all this time, and especially now where everybody has a little bit of a grift. Do you know what I mean? I feel like everywhere yeah. I live, there's a grift. There's a panel for this. There's a conference for that. You know, pay me this amount of money and I'll tell you everything I know. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't mean to be disparaging to people who do make their living that way. But I think somewhere along the way, we've lost trusting that voice, that inner voice that has been talking to us and been being with us forever you know i developed this inner voice at three or four the first concert i ever went to was michael jackson and i looked up at my mom and i said i want to do that she thought i was nuts but i was right yeah. <laughs> i may not be michael jackson but i will get to more and more and more heights in this career i was right that i was going to spend my life singing and dancing on stage yeah i love that that's 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 really great and i guess if anything, though, is going to give you that fire, um, it's going to be watching Michael Jackson perform live, right? Oh, my God. Come on. That must have been electrifying. I was like four, and my parents just really wanted to go. I really think they just couldn't find a sitter. So, you know, whatever <laughs> may have you, I don't... I remember really watching the screen, so I know it, it wasn't that we were so close or anything like that, mm. but I remember how it felt. It's one of my earliest memories, for sure. Yeah, I, I can't even imagine what the atmosphere must have been like. I mean, yeah, Michael Jackson at, at his peak. Mm, amazing. That's <laughs> <laughs> making me jealous. Um, but final question, what is your guilty pleasure? Okay, I can only give the most honest answer. It's not a film. It's a TV phenomenon. My guilty pleasure is Real Housewives. <laughs> I love those women. They are hilarious. Even if unintentionally, they are so funny to me. I have to ask, there are a lot of versions of Real Housewives. Yes. Uh, are you thinking of a particular one or just the whole shebang? Right. So my favorite, favorite brand or city is Atlanta because yeah. they are by far the funniest women. They are so fun and they mean it. Like they're not like, <laughs> it, I, I'm not laughing at them. I'm laughing with them. They are so, so funny. I just love them. I love them. But I just started Real Housewives of Melbourne the other day. And one of the ladies came on the screen and they were introducing her as they do. They introduce new housewives. Um, and the producer must have asked her, you know, what's your life motto? And she said, um, my life motto is count calories. <laughs> yeah, count I love that. <laughs> Your life motto is count count. I just love it. It's just there's, so absurd. It's crazy. There's something amazing about watching people that just have so much money that just real, real things are just are not even on their radar. I love it. Yeah. Count calories. Your life motto. Sure. <laughs> yes. That's great. Absolutely. That's great. You know, I'm like, yes. I've, I've caught a bit of an episode once and... Yeah, it must have been one of the American versions. It looks like maybe LA. Is there one set in LA or California or somewhere? Um, Beverly Hills. Yeah, probably that one. And there was 
uh, a woman on it who had this huge, huge house, obviously. And uh, I don't even know how many dogs, but there was there was just a lot of dogs just running around. It was. Oh, you're talking about Vanderpump. <laughs> yes, that sounds familiar. Yes, and it's just like peeking into the world of of people that wealthy, and it's not even like fame, is it? Like these are just rich people. They're rich, but they're also just kooky. They're weird, yeah. but I love it. It's top yeah. top notch TV. Like, would I, I? I don't know that I'd be friends with. You know, I would be friends with every single person on Real Housewives. Of <laughs> but you know, some of the other cities, I'm like, would I hang out with y'all? No. Will I watch <laughs> you and crack up on my couch? Yes. Yeah, there's there's something about some just good reality TV that I think is everyone and uh, turns yeah. my brain right off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, okay. I guess. Uh, final side question. Um, if someone just overnight gave you like a billion dollars and you were as rich as, as the Real Housewives, what's the first thing you'd do? Um, if someone gave me a billion dollars, the very first thing that I would do is probably, no, that's a lie. I was going to say I'd pay off my student loans, but I probably still wouldn't just because they're <laughs> such a scam. That's such a scam. <laughs> it doesn't feel that way here, but in the States, they're outrageous i mean yeah you know blows my mind what you pay for college in the u.s why would you give an 18 year old a forty thousand dollar loan i have no idea what this means for my life <laughs> of course i'm gonna sign and say yeah give me forty thousand dollars what do i know i'm 18 years old and i want to go to college um so no that was a lie that was my pageant answer but i'm not at a pageant i'm just sitting at home so i would not pay off my student loans but i can say I would give most of it away. I can't see hoarding that amount of money. It yeah. just seems strange. Like, why do you need all this money? It's confusing to me. I think, you know, I would give to a lot of different causes. A lot. And buy my baby a house. Of course. Yeah. Great answer. So I, before I, I let you go, um, just tell us uh, once again, how can people um, go to the show and how can people connect with you? Right. So you can follow me on Instagram at it's Ashley Stroud and you can follow carte blanche show on Instagram at carte blanche show. Visit our website, www.carteblanche.co.uk and click book. Now we are running every Wednesday and Thursday at 17 Hanover square beginning October 13th, which is in a week, which is frightening. And we're going to do a great show. And hopefully this is the first run of many. We hope. So, yeah, follow us everywhere and stay tuned. Amazing. Um, thank you so much for joining the podcast. And good luck with the show. You, you don't need luck, but good luck anyway. Uh, I'm sure you'll, you'll do great. And, yeah, thanks. Thanks for being on thank the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That's it for this week of the Friday Film Club. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can rate and review us on all good podcast platforms. Also, uh, do reach out to us on social media at the Fry Film Club on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. And if you want to be a guest in a future episode, do drop us a message on social media or email liam at hefcorp.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks so much for listening to the first season of the Friday Film Club. I hope you've enjoyed it. 
Uh, we are busy planning for season two, and that's gonna be coming early next year. So do keep your ears out for that. We're lining up some great guests. And uh, of course, if you've got any feedback, do let us know. Uh, we want you to enjoy what you hear. Um, and also uh, remember before season two starts to tell everyone about the show, follow us on social at the Fry Film Club and leave a review and a rating uh, so others can find us as well. Uh, that would be great. Enjoy your Christmas and your new year and we will see you on the other side.